and welcome back to our last episode of the MedGlobal miniseries. This one took place on the border of Colombia and Venezuela, right as COVID was hitting South America. Today with us, we had Dr. Peter Hook, who is a family medicine physician and a professor in the Department of Global Health at the University of Washington in Seattle. Um, he was also casually a CDC Epidemic Intelligence Service Officer and completed the CDC Preventative Medicine Residency. So lucky enough for us, he agreed to discuss the pandemic and how it might be affecting marginalized populations around the world. Thanks so much. morning. We have with us in a very timely manner the wonderful Peter Hoop, who's going to talk to us about coronavirus and how it's affecting some of our global health and migratory populations. So um, thanks so much for the time today, Peter. Um, if you want to just introduce yourself real quick and some of your background, that'd be great. Yeah. Hi, hi Ellen. It's been great to have you here with us. Um, I'm a family physician by original training, but also uh, in, the, in the last... Uh, more like 30 years, I've been a public health epidemiologist with uh, the CDC and several other government agencies. Been working with MedGlobal now for uh, about two years. Uh, started working with refugees in Greece in 2015. Uh, the last year, I've been uh, working here in Colombia uh, with Dr. John Kaler and uh, all of our MedGlobal colleagues. Yeah, thanks so much. Um, my first question to start us off is just. With coronavirus, there's a, a lot of stuff going around. A little, I guess, background in epidemiology for our medical students that are listening to talk about how we are testing and, and some of the importance of like timing of testing and, um, and how that will relate to especially a lot of migratory populations that have limited access to care in the first place. Well, the, the, um, the big issue with testing, uh, it, it's been a big issue throughout the world, but it's an especially important issue for... Uh, migrant populations is that there really isn't any testing right now, and <clears throat> at this stage of the of the pandemic, we're we're at a point where there's a lot of interaction between the concepts of sensitivity, specificity, um, the incidence of disease, the prevalence of infectivity, and the predictive value of either a um, uh, a positive test <clears throat> if you have one or the predictive value of, of someone actually meeting a clinical case definition. Uh, for instance, early on in an outbreak is when you really want to have a good test because you're trying to figure out what's going on. In this particular uh, outbreak, the disease we're interested in, the coronavirus infection, looks an awful lot like a lot of other uh, febrile respiratory illnesses, especially influenza, which is very, very common uh, at this time of year. So early on, all we have to work with is a clinical case definition, let's just say uh, uh, fever and cough. Well, that may be sensitive for coronavirus infection, but it's not very specific because there are a lot of other things that cause fever and cough. And right now, we don't know how common uh, the coronavirus uh, infection is because we just simply don't have the data. So at this point, the value of of someone meeting that clinical case definition of fever and cough is relatively low because lots of people have other things and you, 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 can't, you can't hospitalize or isolate everybody who has a cough. So we simply don't know what to do with these people. As the outbreak progresses and more and more people, more and more people who have uh, uh, fever and cough actually have the coronavirus um, uh, infection then the value of, a, of meeting the case definition is, is better. But at that point, you don't 
need to have such a good definition because you know that most people with fever and cough already have the disease. So we're really between rocks and hard places everywhere we look. But in any case, um, our migratory populations, whether they're here in Colombia or if, say, they're in a refugee camp in Greece, don't have access to health care in general. They don't have access to testing, even when the rest of the population does. And perhaps more importantly right now, in a place like Camp Moria, for instance, on the island of Lesbos in Greece, is that these people, those people, cannot take the measures that everybody else is taking to protect themselves and their families, those being um, social distancing, staying far apart from other people, because there's simply not enough space to maintain two meters of distance between people. Those people are, are packed into those camps and the areas around them so tightly, there's simply no way physically to, to, to maintain separation. Uh, secondly, um, hand washing and the use of, um, for instance, alcohol-based hand sanitizers is recommended for the rest of us. But in those places, there are not, uh, there are not good hand washing facilities available. There may be some water, but there's no soap. There might not be a lot of water. And there aren't, in any case, enough hand, hand washing stations to even wash your hands with water. And uh, alcohol-based hand sanitizer, ha, you know, it's, it's simply, it's not available here in many places. It's not available there at all. Uh, so those two measures to, to get to try to protect themselves and others are, are not available to them. Uh, and of course, if someone does get sick, um, uh, there's not, there aren't very many resources available for, for treatment as well. So as usual, uh, the migratory populations, the people who are, are really in, in a, a bad situation are, are getting, uh, getting screwed in multiple ways. Uh, when it comes to some basic means to protect themselves and their families. Yeah, definitely. No, thank you for your um, very wonderful insights about all of this stuff. It's um, good to learn, you know, that all of us are being affected in this way, but especially those that are, are suffering most. Um, and especially as you talked about, the timing of testing is really important. I think that um, in Colombia, at least, we're still on the upswing. I, don't, um, I would say that you would agree for the U.S. as well, um, and we don't have proper testing here, <laughs> and so having we can't even go by case definitions if we don't have testing. You know, it's um, just a whole, <laughs> a whole complicated mess. I don't know if you can comment about that. I guess today is uh, Friday. Today's Friday, March twentieth, and so that's where we're at right now in Colombia, and they're about to close the borders as well. So it is so timely of you <laughs> John Kaler to be almost on the out, the last flight out of the country but yeah just talking about timing of testing and, and where we are now currently that'd be great well uh, let's see the, the first the first confirmed case in Colombia uh, was reported uh, two weeks about two weeks ago today or yesterday uh, as of yesterday there were mm, I believe something in the 60s a number of confirmed cases there had been no deaths yet. Uh, there are cases here in Cucuta uh, that have been confirmed. There have been cases uh, in Venezuela, next door to Cucuta, uh, but the extent of the spread of the disease in Venezuela is really unknown because the public health system in Venezuela is uh, in tatters, and they simply don't have the resources to figure out what's going on. We're assuming that lots and lots of people who are, have, have come from Venezuela uh, uh, are infected. And we're also assuming that, that many people here in Colombia uh, are infected as well, but either are, have very mild illness that, again, is consistent with lots of other things going around, such as influenza or the common cold, 
uh, or these some of these people are, are completely asymptomatic. Um, so it's there's a lot of uncertainty. Um, I think the Colombian public health system is working remarkably well. It's always I'm always impressed uh, how high the quality of Colombian public health is, and they're they're really working very hard to do the best they can with very limited resources, as is the case with public health people all over the world, including the United States. Yeah, no, um, thanks so much for, for all of your time. Um, any other closing thoughts that you would think that medical students who are interested in, in this kind of field should learn about coronavirus or <laughs> just about um, health in general? Well, I think, you know, obviously, um, I, I'm an epidemiologist, so when you, um, when you have your epidemiology class, pay attention because even though it may seem pretty dry and boring at the time, it actually comes into play in a very important way later on in your career. You don't know where you're going to be. 10, 20, 30 years from now, um, and it becomes very important. So uh, pay, pay attention to some of those concepts and, and look, for, look for ways where you can um, make a difference. Uh, Ellen, you made a difference here. Uh, so look, look for ways where you can help. It doesn't have to be any place exotic. Um, you can help at home. Gotcha. Thanks so much. Um, and again, thank you for all the wonderful work that, that you do and continue to um, support throughout Med Global and, and your work all over with other students. It's really, um, it's been a privilege. So thank you so much. Thank you all for listening to Listo's mini-series recorded in Cucuta, Colombia in partnership with the International NGO Med Global. If you would like to learn more, please check out the show notes. As a disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are only of the individuals and not reflective of Med Global or other mentioned organizations. If you have any comments, questions, or ideas, please reach out and we would love to work together. Until next time, stay informed.